early Judaism, and, for Christians, from the first hundred years or so of Christianity. Those texts are called books, and, like other books, they have human authors, many of whom are identified as such in the books themselves, Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Paul, for example. Sometimes the books also describe the process of how they were written down. So the prophet Jeremiah twice dictates his words to his scribe Baruch, and Paul, having dictated the body of one of several letters he wrote to Christians in the Greek city of Corinth, added a postscript in his own handwriting. These books were written over the course of many centuries, and, like all other books, they reflect the presuppositions and prejudices, the ideas and ideals of their authors, almost entirely men, and of the societies in and for which they were written. Similar to other anthologies, the Bible is selective. It is not a complete collection. Biblical writers often refer to other books that they used as sources. My personal favorite is the Book of the Wars of the Lord, mentioned as the source of an ancient poem quoted in the Book of Numbers. The Book of the Wars of the Lord is not preserved in the Bible, nor has it yet been found by archaeologists or treasure hunters, but how I would love to be able to read it. Similarly, Paul refers to several letters he wrote to the Corinthians, but only two of them are preserved in the New Testament. So, it turns out, the Bible has sources, only some of which were incorporated into its books. Likewise, Only some of the sacred writings of ancient Israel, early Judaism, and early Christianity were included in what became the Bible, the canonical scriptures deemed to have a special authority. We can make educated guesses about why some writings were omitted. Some were probably considered heretical by religious leaders as they formed their canons, and others may not have had a proper pedigree. Many of these non-canonical writings have survived, however, and they shed important light on the background of the books of the Bible. The authors of those books were, in essence, interpreting their experience of God and its implications for their lives. For the ancient Israelites, that God was Yahweh, conventionally rendered the Lord, and worshipped continually ever since by Jews, Christians, and Muslims, under different names and titles. As Yahweh, he is reported to have revealed himself to Abraham, Moses, the prophets, and others. But these putative revelations are often inconsistent. For example, in the Ten Commandments, Yahweh declares that he punishes sons for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. But centuries later, speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, he seems to have changed his mind. A son shall not suffer for a father's iniquity, nor shall a father suffer for a son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous shall be his own, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be his own. Clearly, different writers had different views. Inconsistencies like this require first that readers of the Bible who consider it authoritative read all of it not blithely picking only passages that coincide with their own views. Second, such inconsistencies invite, even demand, interpretation.
If scripture itself reflects developing or at least differing views, then its readers must scrutinize them carefully, critically. This is especially true given the profound influence the Bible enjoys. Unraveling the complicated history of the formation of the Bible has been the substance of the work of biblical scholars since the Enlightenment. They, or rather we, have been able to trace the development of biblical religion and its various schools of thought, and have posited multiple sources within the Bible itself to explain its repetitions and inconsistencies. A majority of biblical scholars agree on both methods and results. But, unhappily, we have not succeeded in changing the way most non-specialists and even many in the clergy think about the Bible. People still may-